0: Welcome to The Roadshow. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to
1: sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about running.
0: In South Africa,
1: it my brings heart, people together, breaks numbers. down barriers. Yeah,
0: right. My passion winning, to be the best. Being the best is something we strive sacrifice. for. This crucial role
1: is high Great. Passion.
0: passion. Fiction. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another banging episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me,
1: Jake Green. And today we have uh, an awesome guest for you. You know, we we got the episodes coming thick and fast, all about the Tokyo Olympics. And today we have Emo Lam from Ireland, who uh, raced to a bronze medal at the Olympic Games in the Women's Four. A fantastic athlete, really. Um, incredible story of uh, the resurgence of Irish rowing, um, the women's rowing as well, and you know their journey, um, that that force taken in the last couple of years to get to the Olympics and, uh, um, end up on the podium.
0: Yeah, and what an incredible journey it was. I mean, from coming from tenth place in twenty nineteen, you know, a young crew not even expecting to to be racing for a qualification spot at that regatta, and then obviously just missing out, and then going through COVID. Carrying on training and then coming into late uh, qualifications in 2021, winning with the first place there and coming into the Olympic Games and coming away with a fourth—I mean, a third place, a bronze medal—which is just incredible. What a journey! And oh man, what a cool episode we had. We've been dying to get more of the the, the Irish team on uh, on the road show, and yeah, it didn't disappoint.
1: Of course, and also it's another good example of. Uh, you know, another crew that's really taken the, the extra year to their benefit. Um, like Lauren said, it's a young crew. So you can tell that, uh, I mean, Emo even said in the interview, like a lot of them were young athletes and that extra year of development, like meant a lot for them to like, you know, refine things, get a bit stronger, you know, grow a little bit um, with, you know, with the racing mentality. And uh, really, I think it all came Um, to fruition they were incredibly fast at uh, late qualifiers I remember looking at the numbers and Lawrence and I saying that you know this is definitely going to be um, a four to to watch out come Olympics because of how fast they were rowing exactly and
0: it was really cool too to get the women's four on the on the show because new Olympic event um, hasn't raced for a number of years and we were so excited to see it come down the track and yeah just awesome and yeah, I think the, the episode really is going to speak for itself. Uh, really, really cool. We had some serious technical issues, but I'm sure in the post-editing, it will be all silky smooth for you mm. guys. So bear with us. And yeah, I think a little bit of housekeeping. A huge shout out to our patrons. You guys are incredible. Always uh, getting good questions in for, for our um our guests and really good banter on our, on our group where we have a chat and we we chat all things rowing and all current events in in rowing so it's it's always a interesting place to be and yeah to all the other listeners thanks so much for the support thanks so much for listening and yeah go like us share the show tell a friend about it and anything else jake no i think you said it
1: quite well enjoy the episode enjoy guys Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a, another awesome interview on the Ro Show. And today we have uh, a very special guest on the show, Emo Lamb from Ireland, who recently won a bronze medal in the, the Irish women's four. Welcome to the show.
2: Ah, oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: and I've got to ask. You know, that this medal that you you've got, um, you know, in Tokyo, it's it's an absolute incre- incredible achievement for you know for your crew and also for um Irish rowing in general because this is the first medal that uh you know Irish women have won at the at the Olympic Games so how does it feel I mean like I'm sure it's you know you haven't really processed ev- processed everything but it must be you know incredible feeling knowing that you you've you've managed to win a medal for the first time um for Irish women's rowing
2: oh yeah no it is incredible like I don't think it really processed with us until we came in off the water because well to be honest racing we had a bit of a rocky start and like we didn't we weren't up there at all for the first half of the race and we kind of just managed to pull it together then in the second half so in a way Mm. we were like slightly disappointed with our performance but like not disappointed at all with the result um so it was then when we crossed the line we were kind of like mixed emotions but then i think when it hit in we were delighted like absolutely ecstatic yeah and i don't think it was then until we went in and then we saw our coaches and stuff and they'd be quite like stern Italian men like <laughs> and they were so emotional <laughs> like there were like little literal yeah. tears in their eyes about it and um and then it wasn't until like a little while after then we realized that there'd actually only been four women in any sport in Ireland to have ever won an Olympic medal before us oh that's so incredible in one race we doubled yeah. the number for Ireland for women so um yeah, yeah I don't think we really realized like the extent of it and what it kind of meant for Ireland as a country until we came in and the I started just thinking
0: And then standing on the podium, that must have been just an absolutely incredible feeling. I mean, I know with the, the, you know, they didn't have the crowds and stuff, but, you know, there was still a fair amount of people um, at the stands. And, you know, obviously, you know, everyone's watching it at home. So standing on the podium must have been very special.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely was. Yeah, I think it was only starting to sink in then when we were standing there and... Yeah, it was quite emotional. Even getting to like put the medals on each other and everything. Like, I think it was quite lucky that us as a four, we get on really, really well. So like, hmm. even though like family and everything wasn't there, like our team was there, and I think that's probably the most important part.
1: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And yeah, I mean, I I was looking at your, you know, your racing. You guys have had incredible uh, progression, you know, since ever since twenty nineteen. Um, you know, we you you really seemed like you took real advantage of the of the extra extra year. And we'll get into that. Uh, in a second, but just won the Olympics. Um, I mean your heat. I mean I, I do want to chat about your heat because I even remember watching that you know that heat go live while we were there, and yeah, you, know, you guys had uh, you really took it to the Australians. And usually, what I find what I find so cool about that result is usually you will find crews like slipping off the pace if they've secured progression, and you guys had secured progression, you know quite you know early into the race, um, and you guys just stayed on Australia all the way to the end. So I mean that mentality was awesome to see in the heat, you could tell you guys were here for, for business. And, you know, what was, was that the game plan going to the heats? I mean, who was making the calls? I hope you guys weren't expecting someone in the booth to say, okay, we could take it down because you guys were planning <laughs> it all the way to the finish.
2: Yeah, no. Yeah. Cause we knew that there was like a big enough gap that like, if we were to go into the ref, then we'd have at least another day of racing. And like, it's just good to get the nerves out. I think everyone's kind of nervous, you know, the first race and it's at the Olympics. Mm. So like yeah. we were kind of gunning for it a little bit. And then we've always had like quite a slow start. So our main focus was trying to stay with them just off the start. And then we knew in the middle that we're quite aerobic, like that would probably be able to like try and hold a similar pace then once we didn't let them pull away too much early on. Yeah. So we were quite lucky. I think then that we had a good start then. And then I think cause we were lanes next to them, everyone was just going for it even though, um, yeah, maybe we could have like, cause it was two through and we were going to be through, but yeah, I think people wanted to just race off the line just to see what they could do. And then hopefully we are hoping that that race would give us a bit of confidence then going into the final that it would be possible to challenge them a bit more.
0: Yeah, for sure. And then how was the the actual the final race? Um how were the nerves, you know, like what is it like um that build up throughout the day? Did you sleep well the night before and, and what was it like um uh getting onto the start line for Olympic A final?
2: Yeah, yeah, the nerves were definitely there. I think we all kind of switched off our phones and stuff the night before because we were getting so many texts and messages and stuff from home. And then they'd all be up the whole night as well. My family were having like a bit of a party anyway, watching it at home. So I was getting like drunk text <laughs> messages from them um, in the middle of the night for me. And then, um, so yeah, the nerves were definitely there, but I'm a very heavy sleeper. So I managed to pretty much pass out for the night before anyway. Um, But coming off to it, yeah no the nerves nerves were there but we kind of knew like we knew it was something that was achievable for us like we've raced Netherlands we raced Australia and we knew that we've done performances that were close to them in times like on the day it didn't work out that way but we and then we'd raced the other people in our final as well before you know it's not like it wasn't like a complete unknown so we just knew that like if we'd raced our best race and no one else pulled anything crazy out of the bag that like it was a good possibility that we could make it onto the podium. So we kind of had that reassurance going into it. And then, as I said before, I think because we're quite close knit for that, um, we're good at like bouncing off each other when we're nervous. So whenever we're warming up, I know I've heard of other crews actually complaining about us before about it. But like we always have our speaker playing. Like really loud music and it's almost as if we're getting ready to go away for a party you know is this, i take
1: it this is on this is on land for a second i'm like in my head yeah only. i've got on this, land we do like I've a land this image of you guys in the boat warming up and there's just tunes pounding a boom on the box warm up. On like, that's, that's unorthodox i don't think i've seen a crew do that
2: <laughs> if we could do that we would do that to be honest
1: yeah i don't know i don't know <laughs> so, think if the, the the umpires you know the the fisa umpires are like the most You know, I don't know what the word is, but they're super strict. You know, you can't even wear the different colored socks. It's ridiculous.
2: Yeah. 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 Maybe a boom box probably wouldn't Um, go down too well.
0: I've seen uh, the videos of you guys on the URG, And then also the music is just ferocious in the background. It's actually awesome.
2: No, it is Yeah, Yeah. One of the guys, Phil, then invested in, um, Phil Dorley's in the men's double. He invested in a big, like, JBL party box speaker. And we ended mm. up, like, have, we had to, like, take bags off the trailer to make sure we could get it over to Italy for our training camp. Um, yeah, I think we spent a couple of hours compiling a playlist of just, like, really, between, like, the Sizzy Sisters and really hardcore rap <laughs> that we just listen to now all the time for <laughs> sessions and pre-race everything.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, that and, yeah, amazing. I mean, I think that's that's quite a cool insight into, like, the, the Irish rowing culture because it's, you know, Anyone that's from around the world that's you know kind of clued up to rowing, you can definitely get a sense that you know the Irish rowing has had an incredible resurgence this last Olympic cycle. I mean, if you look at you know look at Rio, you had Sunita and you know the Donovan brothers um, with the Donovan brothers winning you know that silver medal, and and now at this Olympics you have five boats you know racing, and um, and also of course in Rio your sister was racing there as well. So I mean the the amount of people that you know have uh, it, it seems like there's an incredible Amount of people that have come involved in the sport up until that point. So I'm interested to get your take on, like, you know, you know, what how how's it been for you, especially as like a, a younger athlete that's come kind of come up through the the ranks this last cycle. What is has what it kind of meant to you that this incredible you know resurgence in Irish rowing?
2: Oh yeah, no, it's definitely been incredible. Um, it's kind of been a bit unbelievable, I think, for people on the sidelines and like even yeah, my sister who's like kind of out of the system now, she can't get over just how much it's changed since her time um i think it we're i think main part of it kind of is probably like the reprogramming and stuff the system so we've had antonio coming in from Italy. he's italian um, and i think he was high performance director with the netherlands i want to say before us um so he's kind of brought in a whole different kind of training style and programming and he's been quite good at kind of getting juniors and stuff to be training that bit harder pretty much on the way up Mm. So I think that's kind of made a massive difference, and then also, kind of spotting people I think as well, and getting them to move down to Cork earlier. So the training, our training, our training base, sorry, is based in Cork, which is, it's like the southwest of Ireland, and not a lot of people want to move down. Oh no, it's a really nice city. Mm. Oh my, like the girls will probably be annoyed at me for giving out about it, but I'm from Dublin, and I wait for living in Dublin, but <laughs> for rowing, yeah. you have to move down there, and it's a big move for a lot of people if they're not sure if rowings for them or if they can make the big step back up to high performance. But I think he's been quite good at getting camps and pulling people in with that. I think that's... So that we've gone from having, I think, only two or around four heavyweight women kind of in the mix, I think, coming into Rio to around nine this time, which is like double the number just there in a couple of years.
0: Yeah, that is incredible. And then when did your, like, belief that you could go to the Olympics or you know when did that Olympic dream really start when did you really want to decide you want to take that on
2: um I think I was probably a bit late I don't think it was probably till 2019 I kind of copped that it was a possibility for me so I was rowing I rowed as a junior and I was on the national team and stuff when I was a junior and then I went to college and went to like world genies and I was kind of in the trialing process but wasn't like as committed like I was mostly focusing on studying and stuff at the time and then towards, like, my second year of college, I wasn't sure if I really liked it anymore. I wasn't really enjoying it with the university anyway. And I decided to take a break because I, with my course, I had to go on Erasmus. So I moved to Germany for a year then to study German. And I took a break from Rome completely. And that was 2018. So I came back then, the September 2018. I was like, oh, no, like, I actually really miss Rome, And I think... I think up until that point, rowing was always something I did because my mom put me in it when I was around 11. Mm. So I never really kind of thought of it as something like I chose to do. You know, it was kind of like almost like school. It was just something I rode and then I studied and that was my life. And I was like, oh, yeah. at what point did I make the decision to be here? You know, so I think then taking that break made me realize I was like, no, actually, I really enjoy rowing and I miss the sport. And I think seeing all the people then that I'd kind of left in Ireland doing doing quite well like we were getting some of our first medals at under 23s I think that year that I was like oh no like I should go back so when I came back I was lucky then that my coach Giuseppe who started coaching me in UCD he was there and kind of pushed me back into trials because I knew I was going to come back to Rome but I didn't know at what level and he always kind of had the belief in me a bit that I I should be pushing to try and be up at high performance and making the commitments. so 2019 then I Committed. I was in final college as well but I decided to go back to rowing and just to see what I could do with it and I wasn't even sure if I didn't really think Tokyo was on the cards because I obviously left it quite late but I trained that year and I made the four front of 23s with Emily Heggerty, who was in the for me there um, and we meddled at that and then from that me and Emily and Tara so the three of us I had done 23 three four, went in with Africa just to qualifiers and that was like my first senior world championships and like, we were a bit unlucky at, in the final limit lanes and everything, but, like, we missed out then by, like, two places qualifying. And I was like, oh, I didn't expect myself to be at a senior yeah. championships even near a qualification spot at all, <laughs> especially after my year, because I hadn't moved to Cork even at that point. I was just going down for training camps and going to Italy on those camps and doing most of my training alone in Dublin. So I think then at that point, it kind of hit home, that I was like, oh, if I moved into Cork and just really commit maybe at last chance, well, there's hope, like, so I think it wasn't until that point then that I was like, oh, like, people had always kind of told me it was a possibility for me, and I just don't think I ever really believed them, and then it wasn't until that point when I actually saw, like, that we had that kind of performance in us, that I was like, okay, Mm. maybe I'll give it a go, and here I am.
1: yeah awesome with a bronze medal uh, a bronze medal around your neck or well, so to speak i mean that's uh, that's quite uh, you know it's definitely um an affirmation on, on of your your rowing abilities um but i mean you, it does seem like you come from quite a, a sporty sporty family so, and uh for the listeners out there that aren't aware you have a sister claire lamb who raced in a lightweight women's double at uh, 2016 rio so i'm sure you you kind of uh, you you must have been exposed to a little bit about the you know that high performance, I just suppose, mentality, or, or a fairly, um, you know, good idea of like what the, you know, maybe what the Olympics were were about, and maybe that's why you thought you, you didn't, you you didn't think that you might not have it because after watching Claire, you know, race race the lights, you double, and you know, you have an understanding of like how difficult it is really to go to the Olympics, and you know, that's that's often something that most people don't really know, but yeah, I mean, chat to us a little bit about the, you know, the influence of your family and, like, Claire's, you know, Claire's influence on you?
2: Yeah. I think, yeah, to be honest, I probably did play a bit of a role. Um, Just because me and Claire would have very different personalities and, like, yeah. ways of approaching things. Like, she'd be very, like, all or nothing would be like balancing everything she'd be like wearing her training gear to her lectures in college so she could save as much time as possible (laughs) in between to make sure she can fit everything in like and she'd like to the extreme everything almost like perfectionist the point like everything has to be efficient you know whereas yeah I think I'd be a bit more kind of laid back and if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't and I'd try to fit things in and like we'd both be quite different sides of the spectrum you know so whenever I'd see her I'd always be like Oh, uh, like that's the personality you need to succeed, and it did, and it totally worked for her. And like she's, um, she definitely probably wouldn't have. Like, she's obviously very talented girl, but like a lot yeah. of her success is down to like how, like tedious and stuff she was, and how like efficient and how she managed her time and, and that kind of thing. Where
0: she sounds like a uh, true lightweight.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly that's like I feel
1: like every lightweight has got that personality maybe
2: <laughs> yeah I think she has to like so that's the thing I think looking at her as like no like I, clear, I don't have the personality to be like a world-class athlete like um so in some ways like it was inspiring seeing her and having someone that I knew go to the Olympics because then I knew it wasn't just like Usain Boltz and these crazy people it was like mm. a family member like you know like your average girl can <laughs> go to the Olympics you know but then at the same time I knew she had this like edge on her personality and the way she saw things mm. and I was and she was very obviously competitive as well whereas I think I'd be more internally motivated on like myself and just make myself better rather than like competitive off other people around me kind of thing so yeah I was kind of like oh like I don't have that competitive drive you know and like should be going for runs on Christmas day when i would be getting out of bed and things like that and um so i think yeah at that point that probably made me think um yeah made me question it a little bit but mm. other than that but then yeah see i have three older sisters so there's actually four girls so my mom had pushed us all into sport pretty early on to try and mm. empty out the house i think a little bit <laughs> um yeah (laughs) four girls was probably a bit much to handle in hindsight she probably thought after having us but she put us into like summer camps and everything so we were lucky we were beside the rowing club because like my mom would go for walks and stuff but she wouldn't be like overly sporty and my dad would be into a bit of cycling and then and hikes and stuff but like he wouldn't have like a sport that he'd be all or nothing about and we were just lucky i think that we lived beside the rowing clubs and my mom pushed us Mm. into that that we kind of got into us and yeah
1: yeah that's awesome i mean lawrence lawrence probably knows a fair amount of that he's got three older i mean three brothers as well two younger one older so <laughs> you know i'm sure that that family dynamic can be quite competitive and boisterous
2: oh yeah, yeah definitely yeah, for sure but yeah
0: just, <laughs> you know, my mom just really wanted a my mom just really wanted a little daughter and uh does not do <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah
0: shame Poor Charles, he really was supposed to be uh supposed to be a girl. Um, oh, well, you know. so we I wanna switch on. I want to switch to, you know, in twenty nineteen, world champs, you finished tenth, and then two years later, twenty twenty-one Olympic Games, third place. Talk us through the transition between finishing there and then obviously COVID had a huge impact. And you know, we've really seen with the, the other other um athletes you chatted to the like Different countries have had such different effects by COVID and, you know, and some countries have really used it to their advantage and others have, have struggled through it. So tell us a bit about that extra year and then how you managed to to come into 2021, you know, the second place at European champs, the first place at final qualification and then onto the podium at the Olympic Games. You know, that must have been, there's been some serious changes in the, in the way you guys, uh, the way you the goals have been racing down the track. So, so Yeah get into into that for us.
2: Um, yeah, I'd say it was the training, to be honest. I think, well, I suppose like the motivation behind the training has probably got changed. Like we were quite young anyway. And then that next year I think just gave us the next year to get like a bigger base fitness into us and a bit more mileage into the legs. But I think when lockdown hit, like so we were training really hard then coming into last for last chance, like the whole time we were just counting then the days like how long until qualification. And then when lockdown hit, obviously we were pretty all pretty devastated because we weren't even sure if it was going to happen. Because, like, I think last chance got cancelled then before even the Olympics got postponed, so we weren't sure if they'd like go off world chance rankings. Because then, if they did, we would have just about snuck in, and then, um, so we weren't really certain, but then the Olympics got postponed, so we knew then that last chance would just have to be in a year's time once the Olympics was going to go ahead. Um, so I think to be honest, I think. Not qualifying then at at the um in loose in Linz was probably a massive benefit to us because I think then once lockdown hit and we had to go into training from homes, we all took like an erg and a bike and we trained in our houses and we had like I had like a little makeshift tent basically in my back garden where I erged every morning. Um, I think there definitely been space then to like take the foot off the pedal and. Kind of just relax into and be like, oh, everyone's at home, like no one's really training that hard. And if we had qualified, but in the back of our minds the whole time, we knew we hadn't, so we didn't really feel like we had that kind of leeway. So the whole time we were calling each other every morning to Zoom. So we'd have like a Zoom set up. So I'd be urging my phone set up, watching everybody else urging every morning just to kind of give ourselves a bit of motivation and kind of feel like we were training together again, and um, which did help a lot because there was definitely a lot of mornings I just didn't want to answer the zoom call or just put my camera off and just stay in bed but I think having that gave us a bit of it gave us something to answer to and like all of us knew that we were all training towards qualifying so like I knew if I wasn't training and I was going there and then I made it into the four like I knew the other girls were training because they want to qualify and their chance of qualifying also rested on my shoulders not just one chance of qualifying so I think not qualifying men and Lynn's gave us that bit of a push to like train hard then even through lockdown and kind of kept us then pushing all the whole way through because then every session we knew we only had so long and then once we got through qualification we had that speed then going into the olympics so probably did work out for the best as off a pathway <laughs> as it was
1: yeah i mean it it i mean obviously it's you can tell by your results that you you know you were young crew and i think you know a lot of you had uh, a fair amount of experience at under 23s and i think the extra year definitely helped with the step up and i think the cool thing about um you is that you guys had the the european championships in 2020 and um immediately you get there and, and you and you guys come uh you come second there and I mean, you came you came third there. Sorry, you got the bronze medal mm-hmm. there, and it, you must have known that immediately after coming, getting the bronze at uh, Europeans that you've 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 made a huge step up with the training. So, I'm interested to hear about your your thoughts on the racing at Europeans and the mindset change from be, before Europeans winning that medal at Europeans, and then how did the mindset change going forward, knowing that you had managed to get that bronze there?
2: Yeah, cause I think like when you're training, it's so hard to kind of see the changes in speed, especially when you're in lockdown and then we came out of lockdown, we had to go straight to singles. So we were never really back in the four for, it was a long time since we were back in the four. So it was hard to see if we had actually made any gains at all, or like, we didn't know how hard everyone else was training, you know, around the world with lockdowns and what situations they were all in. Um, so yeah, we were, it was a big unknown then going into Europeans. We didn't really know what to expect, but then once we started racing, we kind of started doing well. And I think we really surprised ourselves even in the heat to just even be up there. Um, and then we went, and we didn't get through in the heat because we were against the Netherlands and we went through the rep then, but we'd won the rep against like crews like Denmark who had meddled at Linz then just the year before. So I think it gave us yeah, a massive confidence boost then going forward, but mm. we never really felt comfortable or felt safe because like Italy had beaten a pip just then. They had gotten second and we knew they wanted to qualify there for it as well. And then there was countries we had, we knew China was going to come into the mix. They'd come ninth in Linz and just missed out. And then like there's always going to be unknowns as well. I think that pop up and last chance that you just don't expect. So like like a rush, the Russian four is there. We didn't know who that, what that speed they were going to have. And um, we weren't sure at the time whether or not New Zealand would field a four either. So we knew that we were tight with Italy, but then we knew other people were going to come into the mix. So I think probably it gave us a bit of confidence going in, but also, we, yeah, we never felt safe. We still knew we had to make a big step up. If we mm. wanted to
0: make sure we were going to qualify and then and then going into that qualification what was mm. you know like for i mean we uh my crew also went through late qualification and i mean that is it is such a stressful regatta you know jake's done it in 2016 i tried to do it in 2012 and you know it's it's a brutal mm. brutal environment uh that final qualification and how did you guys uh, handle that pressure um and I mean, how, yeah, how how, were you, were you more nervous for late qualification than you were for the games?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, it's like a regatta that everyone there is either going to be completely elated or completely devastated, and there's no in between, you know, there's no like, oh, I'm happy enough with that performance. It's either like you were delighted because you've just achieved what you've been training for for four or five years, or you're devastated because you missed out. And there's no one there that just goes to like have a good race, you know? So I think just the pressure of that going into it mm. and just knowing yeah. that this is it, there was no other chance. And we really all backed the four so much as well that year. Like we just, And the only way, like as a crew, so we had us and then the girls pair and Tara then, who was going to be our spare. And the only way we would qualify for to have a spare in the Olympics was if the four qualified. So that was basically the whole team. And we knew that like the only way for everyone to be able to go and everyone to be happy like and go to the Olympics was if we got this four qualified. So it was a real like team mentality and it kind of felt like mm. the way to, not just like for ourselves, but the whole team that was like on our shoulders, you know? And so going to that well, was quite stressful, but, mm. you know, we knew we'd done like good performances. I think we surprised ourselves then again in the Europeans before where we were quite close to the Netherlands and we knew that they were like gold medal contenders, that, they were, uh, that they'd were that they come second in Lins. So we knew like we had the speed going into it, but it was just the whole fear then that... You know, you never know what's going to happen. Like, you could hit a boy, you could catch a crab. Like, there's just so many yeah. unknowns. So, there's almost, like, a rational fear going into it instead of, yeah, there's like, so many unknowns. fear of performance. But, mm. um, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was a, not the best way to go about it. But, um, yeah, but it still probably worked out, though, because it meant that we were training so hard and right. coming up to the Olympics. Like, there was a good momentum then, moving from last chance into the Games.
0: And then what is the... Vibe, what is the vibe like between uh quali- qualification and in the olympics like what happened in the crew between those two regattas how was the training and uh you know obviously that added a lot of value to um to you guys
2: um for me i think it was actually quite strange because i think in my head i couldn't think about the olympics until after we'd qualified like i'm really like i'm the kind of person that like can only do one step at a time and thinking past that point was like way too much for me so in my head I was just like qualification and like I can't talk about the olympics can't plan for the olympics unless I'm going and I'm not going unless I qualify so I think it was kind of a weird then transitioning after the last chance because we'd achieved that and like the olympics was obviously my goal but in my head qualifying was my goal for like the last year and a half just to make sure we qualified and yeah I think mm. then try, I had to, like, make a bit of a weird mental transition then to kind of, like, reset and then make my goal <laughs> the Olympics straight after, which kind of sounds a bit weird, and I know it sounds probably a bit stupid, but I think I had built up last chance so much that, like, I kind of had to, coming out of it, I had to kind of just take a minute and then re kind of reset myself then for, like, the next goal, yeah. you know? So I think there was a bit of a transition then for us because, like, everything we mm. did, every training session, was about qualification and last chance and what other bud we'd be doing and that kind of thing that we now had to like reset our goal and try and basically aim to try and medal then at the olympic games because after last chance then and we kind of after all our performances that year we knew that there was a strong possibility but i think it was like a bit of a weird transition then trying to like reset myself but then once we managed to get past that it was good yeah there was good momentum then we knew that we had a good chance and we ended up going then to Italy for a camp for four weeks before going to Tokyo. So that was really good because there's no distractions and stuff there and the weather was nice and yeah, it was good then moving forward.
1: So, you know, I went to, you know, we've, we've seen a pattern at the, at the Olympics that uh, often you see um, the crews that make it through late qualifications, they go on to do really well at the Olympics. And, you know, Lawrence and I, um, you know, we, we had looked at the, we spoke about like the the, the last qualification we got and we even looked at the numbers and the women's four was the you know was the one event where you know we reckoned that you you were definitely gonna have a real competitive shot and with the top group um at the at the games and I know you said you guys were fairly confident but I'm interested to hear like you know were were the did the coaches sit down with you guys or did you guys had a did you guys have a fairly good idea that the the times that you rode at the late qualifications the percentages that you rode were fairly competitive
2: um yeah yeah I think we kind of did um yeah because like my coach obviously he loves um spreadsheets and times and data and everything it's just happy so he would have gone through all the times I think mm. and done it <laughs> percentages and everything and could see that there was um that we were a competitive boat and we kind of knew we knew we would be well like after the racing we knew we could be especially after Europeans probably more so than last chance racing against the Netherlands, cause, China was a new crew, it wasn't the same one from Linz and we weren't really sure about the other fours and how they would compare it to like Australia and mm. like Denmark, I know we're talking about how they've gained more speed and stuff in the, in the last few months um, and things like that. So like, it wasn't ever really too certain, but yeah, afterwards I think we kind of did, we just sat down and we were like, okay, I think we all knew we had to reset our goals again because we were so last chance focused. So we did, we sat down with the coaches and they kind of asked us what we thought we could achieve and I think we were kind of just like, well, if we're going to train and we're going to go for the Olympics, like, why wouldn't we aim to medal? And yeah, if we Mm. fall short, we fall short, but at least we tried, you know, kind of thing. So we set our goal, I think Africa was like, let's go for gold, like, why not? Like, there's nothing to lose by aiming high. So we we sat down and we kind of readjusted and we reset and we kind of talked about how we could do it and what kind of things needed to improve and like where the coaches could improve and where we could improve and what we needed to do to make that extra step to get that extra bit of speed, which I think was really good because it is so easy to come out at a last chance and be like, phew, oh my God, yeah. we're going to get a fix and kind of take this foot off the pedal again. But yeah, I think it was good that there was only like two months or so in between and then to kind of keep the momentum. The
0: One of the other questions though that we had was why you hadn't raised the the second, the, the Lucerne World Cup. Because I mean, a lot of the—I mean—the the rest of the Irish team joined, and they all raced, and you know, you guys—you um, know—winning that regatta, you know, you 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 must have been going in there with uh, fairly confident that you could have gone through. So, it was there—was it just because you were so focused on getting the qualification done that you didn't really want to look uh, past that and give yourself uh, something else to to worry about?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think. Yeah, I think we hadn't thought too much about it because we were so focused then on last chance. But then also, I think, like, there's so much nerves and so much momentum that kind of built up towards last chance. I think once you once you finish racing and once you realise you qualify, there is always, like, a bit of, like, a kind of take a breath and kind of, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but I, oh, I think we always find that, like, after doing something with such, that there's such nerves and such a build-up that it's so easy to kind of go into a bit of a dip kind of, afterwards because this is such a relief and you're exhausted you don't realize how tired you get from just being nervous (laughs) for that amount of time so I think also we didn't really want to go in and Mm. underperform either so because like at the time we had good performances and they about belt belt and it was enough to give us the momentum and give us the motivation for the Olympic Games and we didn't want to compromise our preparation for the Olympics then by going in to to Lucerne where we didn't really know If we'd have it in us kind of to pull out another performance after such a kind of dramatic week. So yeah, I think we kind of decided just to put the Olympics first and go go home, take a breather and reset.
0: Okay. Then so let's go on to to Tokyo. What is it like? I mean, I know that the Olympics they didn't have the spectators and we weren't allowed out the village. So there were elements that were very different to to other Olympics. But I mean, what was it like getting into the village and and experiencing the the games in Tokyo, in just in general, um, not necessarily on the water.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Like, I think because wrongs, like in Ireland anyway, is such like a minority sport that when you're at world championships, yeah, you'll have like, your neighbors and your friends kind of texting you and saying, good luck. But I don't, I know people talked about like how it is such a world stage and the hype around the Olympics and people swapping phones and turning off their phones and that kind of thing. Um, but I don't think that really occurred to me until I'd gotten there. And I was getting messages. I was getting messages of people with the last same last name as me being like, I don't know if we're related, but I'm telling everyone that you're my cousin <laughs> and stuff like that. Like I was just getting messages from people like all over the world. And I think yeah, so I don't think I realised that like like obviously I know the Olympics is a big deal, but I didn't expect so many people to be watching it, which sounds probably a bit stupid or a bit naive. But I think once I got there and I was like all these messages and everything were coming in, I was I think, yeah, that did really surprise me. um, And I did end up having to, like, turn off my phone anyway, the mornings of races and things like that. But um, the village and everything, yeah, mm-hmm. it was so cool. And I think it was good that they kind of had the restrictions and stuff in place that you could still kind of talk amongst teams and that kind of thing, and you could still sit with people at in the dining hall and that kind of thing. So there still was like a bit of a social aspect like going into it with COVID and everything, I expected it to be so much worse. Like and basically being confined to your room in between races and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it was good to be able to go out and walk around and mm. that kind of thing. But
1: no, it is, it yeah. is a, it, it is an awesome experience. And like the, the Olympics I think is just, you know, for me, it's, um, it's just the sheer size and the logistics and, you know, amount of people there, it's, it's incredible. Um, but I also wanted to, you know, I just wanted to chat, like, you know, obviously the Irish, the Irish teams had like um, some fairly big names, you know, those last four years, and I know, um, you know, Sanita has been such a boon for the, you know, the women's side. So I, I just wanted to, you know, listen to like the influence that she's had on like the women's rowing this last couple of years, because she, you know, she's, she's an absolute legend, and um, you know, just not in obviously in the whole rowing community. I think you know, definite, definite legends, but I mean. I'm sure for you guys she must be in a huge motivation and a huge uh um positive influence on you know your rowing careers and performances
2: oh definitely like even just training with her like we're quite good in rowing R- ireland that would all quite trying to train together so like all our pieces everything like even our paddles would all like go out together and do it together and we'll be pacing off like the men's double and then if we're in smaller pairs we'll be pacing off sunita then and it was quite cool to kind of have Mm. her there and like know when you're training beside her that you're training, like you're training beside the best in the world, you know? And I think having that there, it was, Mm. yeah, it was definitely very motivating because like even, any days you got even like a little bit closer Mm. to her own speed, you'd be like, okay, I'm like a little bit closer to the best in the world, you know? So yeah, I think having her there and then also just seeing her training ethic and like, yeah, just having her there kind of as, a bit of a role model i suppose kind of looking after all of us really <laughs> kind of almost like a bit of a mammy but she yeah and um, just yeah mm. it, no it was yep. we were really really lucky to have her there to train with.
0: yeah it was it was so sad to to see her miss out there i mean we were really rooting for her. you know ever since we've had her on the show she's just uh definitely one of uh one of our role models and uh we were always rooting for her and the it was really, really tough to to see her um, you know, miss out there and we are we <laughs> our hearts went out to her, I think. Um hmm. was was really tough.
2: Yeah, no, definitely was heartbreaking. Um I think yeah, I suppose yeah, no, it was definitely heartbreaking, especially it being probably her last Olympics. But I suppose like she can step away and still be like a three time Olympian and she's still yes. world champion and two time two time world champion and two time European champion and single. Yeah. And like, you know, even like a like mm. a performance that I know, she probably isn't happy with coming away from the Olympics. Like at least no, you can't take that away from her, you know? Definitely. Um I think that's just kind of the brutality, I suppose, of rowing. Like you can be the best in the world but it doesn't guarantee you anything, you know? And especially yeah i think even just looking at all the results from the olympics like there was just so many upsets mm. and so many surprises and yeah it is just once you get there it can be really but that's
0: also what makes it so special and so so amazing you know when you have uh, chances to to put it out and yeah. uh you know uh, on the day that's when it counts and if you don't get it then you know that's then it's 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 game over and it's it's the brutal part of sport, but it's also the part that makes it exciting. Makes us invest so much emotion and so much effort into getting it right. Um, but you on the the right side of uh, of the the or of the the games this time, so we'll stick yeah. on that. And we have a few questions from our listeners yeah. that we want to go into because <laughs> a lot of them they wanted to know. The uh, big one was about the you know you guys posted and RP3 posted a lot of um training of you guys on the the row perfect. So tell us like what you think the difference is between the row perfect and the the concept two, and did you do all your your training on the the RP3?
2: um I think earlier like a year or two ago, like um we would have probably been a bit more air focused on any water sessions that we couldn't do on the water because where we're based is like barely close to the Atlantic Ocean. So it does get quite windy there. So there will be a lot of days we wouldn't get on the water. So we'd have like set ERG sessions during the week because I think the ERG is obviously very important just for physiological benefit and getting that bit stronger. Um, But whenever we couldn't get on the water, we'd always try to supplement then an RP3 session instead because I think even for us, we found... If, say, we had, like, a week where we couldn't get on the water and if we'd spent that week on the ERG or we'd spent that week on the Row Perfect, getting back into the boat, every time after an ERG would all be kind of, would be pretty rough around the edges. And I think, whereas the ERG, I think, probably is good for just power and strength and fitness, the Orp3 does definitely bring in a bit of a technical element to it. So coming into the Games, the months, Kind of the whole year, I'd say, maybe of qualifiers, we tried to do as much row perfect rather than erg as possible whenever we couldn't get out. So, yeah, I think they as important as the erg is to have a couple of sessions on that ever, during the week just for the physiological side. I think the Orphe 3 is definitely good to kind of help get a bit more of a feel and to kind of keep a feel with the boat if you can't get on the water for a certain period of time or for whatever reason. Mm. Um, I definitely think the Orphe 3 probably brings in a bit more of a technical side to it.
0: And then on the technical stuff, I mean, a lot of the, the ergo work that you were doing, you were connected, you know, you're rowing with the RP3 connected to each other and uh, often connected with the handles. So tell us a bit about like what it's like uh, rowing connected like that with the handles and uh, what are you kind of trying to achieve by by doing that?
2: Um, so when we first got to Japan, we went to a holding camp in Fukuroi. So there was about five or six days where we weren't going to get on the water at all just two weeks before the Olympics so obviously we were kind of just a bit nervous about that so we got the connectors I think from Row Perfect and we tried to use that to just make sure that even though we're not like together on the water we were still going to row together on the Row Perfects. because I think it's so easy then to just get into your own mindset and start rowing the way you want to row instead of making sure like everything is in unison with each other so yeah we Mm. connected the handles which was tough to get used to especially if we tried to do anything kind of high rate but um, but I think on a whole it definitely ended up working in our benefit. It was good because you kind of have a better feel for each other then, and it kind of keeps you rowing as a crew rather than an individual.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um. And then we also we've got some questions just relating to you know the four and the dynamics in the four. And uh, one of them that you know everyone wanted to talk about is like, you know, maybe you can you can share your experience a bit about like. The balance between power and technique in the four, and maybe what you think um, is is important there, because uh, I know everyone likes to create this uh, dichotomy of power versus technique in rowing. So I mean, we, we, you know, you could share your thoughts on on that kind of idea and, and how relate it related to your four there.
2: Um, I think to be honest, I think it's so important to have a balance between the two. Like you can obviously see really good crews that have tech questionable enough technique that can still get the speed. (laughs) But I feel like if you want to make sure you're a top boat and especially in a crew boat, because you want to make sure everyone's rowing together, I think there's probably more leeway to kind of have your own technique if you're in a single or a smaller boat. But especially in crew boats, I think it's really important to have both because I don't think you'll see a crew boat that rows really well but doesn't have that kind of physiological base winning medals. And I don't think you'd see a boat. I think it's kind of rare you'd see a really strong boat with very little technical base winning medals you know i think it's good to kind of have a balance between the two mm. i think maybe in the early years of an olympic cycle it's important to try and get that physiology down and get that get a good base early on uh, but then i think coming into racing it's pretty important to then try to switch your focus a bit maybe towards technique and making sure you can still move the boat
1: yeah no for sure um and then of course you know the dynamics the dynamics, the roles in the four, you know, it's, it's, it's that boat is, it's like almost the most important boat to have like almost a, a strong structure in terms of like the role that people bring to the boat. Um, you know, cause I mean, even in the eight, you know, you have the Cox, which, uh, which, you know, handles the calling and stuff, but in the four, you have four people, four egos to manage. Plus you have to, you know, you got the calls to make. So, you know, it, it'll be cool to listen to the the roles and the dynamics that you had in your four um and what each person brought to the table
2: um so Afrik's in the bow and in racing she'd be the one that kind of because she steers as well oh, so she she'd also kind of be keeping a little bit of an eye on where we are in the race because yeah. i think yeah yeah it is a bit weird none of us like steering so <laughs> she kind of got shafted with it a little bit yeah but um against her will like but um, so she'd kind of keep an eye on the race and kind of tell us where we are because we try not to look out too much because I know if I look out I'll just get distracted so she'd kind of keep an eye out and tell us if we're coming up on people and where we're kind of sitting I'd make the technical calls then and call out for the race plan and that whole thing that would be my job too. Fiona and Emily Kind of mostly just focus on setting the rhythm together mm. so yeah Yeah, they'd kind of just set the rhythm, kind of give feedback, maybe when we stop or turn, like in training sessions and stuff, on like how they're feeling it. But yeah, they'd mostly just set the rhythm. I'd make the calls and yeah, Afrik would steer and kind of tell us where we are. Even though sometimes I think she kind of makes it up a little bit to make us feel better when it's not going well. (laughs) I think in the (laughs) final, we were fifth coming through the 1K and I think she told everybody that we were fourth to try and get us to go a little harder (laughs) to make sure we didn't lose hope. So it well, wasn't until
0: after we realized, yeah, that we were fifth. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's really funny. We always find like you can only do that in a in a few you can only do that a few times because if you get a like a kind of reputation for for uh you know bending the truth a bit uh down for the racetrack, then you lose that trust in the in the crew and then people start uh you know, you'll say we're fourth, and everyone else is gonna start looking to to make sure that uh that you are mm. fourth.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, you definitely. Yeah, you need a you need a balance that right, and you know I'm interested to hear the you know the steering and the bow seat. I you know just on a personal level, I just find that it's quite like it's quite weird because you know here in South Africa, I for one I love steering. I've I've no issue with the steering, and I've always I've always um uh you know liked having the steering and, and, and being in control of that. Um, but I find it so strange. Like they, I've I've noticed recently that there's quite a lot of crews that have the steering operating from the bow seat. Um, if I was in the bow seat, I would want the steering, but usually I'm in the stroke seat, so I don't have to worry about that.
2: Uh, yeah, so I think, yeah, a lot of boats would probably steer from stroke, but me and Emily both can't steer at all. And we're... Her. <laughs> Emily used to be stroke side. I think that was it. And she couldn't steer. So in pairs and stuff, whenever the train in pairs, would I always end up having to put the steering up bow. So it just became a thing that all the bow sliders needed to know how to steer, and the stroke sliders kind of got away with it. Yeah, um, And then... Like when we were normally rigged in the four and not just bucket rigged. I think three, whenever, I think Africa has been in three before, and whenever she was in three, she found it way too hard to steer. So I just ended up being pushed further and further back in the boat. I see. So I landed into the best seat. And yeah. then we bucket rigged it and stuff. So Africa was landed with it again. And. Yeah, so I just I'm back there. But no, I think it's so funny that you like to steer. That's great. Like, oh, absolutely nobody I love wants it. wants it at all. I love it. I have in to Rhode have the steering. I get upset <laughs> when people
1: are steering for me I'm, and I see them going offline or like we row in big dams and I'm like, I have to take the apex line or I have to make sure that my line's perfect to stay with the other crews. Or, you know, if you're having a bit of competitive steady, like I'm always like, okay, how can I get the upper edge here with my steering? Or try get in their face a bit, rattle them, and then
2: cutting the corners.
1: Yeah, I'll take the corners, and then you know, if I'm rowing someone, and like I could tell, like sitting in the back, I'm like, oh, we're not going straight. This is killing me.
0: <laughs> exactly. I think uh, you're so spot on there, Jay. Because I'm the same. Like I don't mind when other people steer, but then they must steer well. Like they must then. Um, up their game to to make sure that mm. they they do a good job otherwise I just end up getting frustrated and wanting to take it but i think the difference between i i only like steering in the stroke seat i think it's because i learned to steer in the stroke seat so like all my references and everything i'm looking at it's in the stroke seat and then when i've tried to steer in the in the bow seat it's a nightmare it's so hard i have no reference and i always just end up drifting and forgetting about the steering and then and going off track and I, and i think most places that steer on like rivers and, you know, that row in rivers, that's when the bow steering is really becomes a, a thing because lots of people steer from the bow, that's where they learn to steer. Um that's why a lot of the British crews yeah. have the the steering in the back.
2: Yeah, like we're we're on a lake, but once up near the top, there's a lot of corners. So like there'd only be about a kilometer straight and then you'd have to do like a sharp turn. So I suppose then it kind of works, yeah, as well. that it would go into the bow then.
1: Um, so yeah, I mean that brings that brings us towards the you know the end of the the interview. And of course, you know, you've listened to the show. We have the quick fire questions which we ask every you know every um, guest on a show. Um, and the first question is uh, if you could race any bow class at the Olympic Games, which one would it be?
2: Um, I think I really like fours. I think I'd still stay in the four. Mm. I think I could do maybe the eight as well. I think an eight to be one well, to see what it feels like to be in like an Olympic class eight. That would be, that would be pretty cool too.
0: Yeah. That would be amazing. But also, and I mean, it's a theme that's, that's come up a few times on the, on the show is, is how awesome it is to have uh, the world oh, yeah. back in the, in the games. And, and, you know, the, the second they announced that, I mean, obviously we were, we were gutted about the light at four going out because we, we quite attached to that event, but we said straight away this is going to be such a good addition to the the olympic games it's going to bring so much more competitive racing and yeah i mean it it really did not disappoint at all we we really saw some amazing stuff um from the women's for this uh the cycle it's been really really cool yeah no it's been
2: so good having it back because like otherwise especially for like countries like Ireland like we'd never have enough to field well like at the moment we wouldn't have enough to field a good eight Mm. so if you wanted to be a sweeper your only chance is to be in the pair and then if you're only a throw on one side that leaves you only one spot which yeah isn't great so I think having the four then as well definitely it's good
0: exactly The, the transition for me as well it's like you know you're it's it's easy to develop a pair and then move into the four and then if that goes really well then you can start to look at the eight but it's it's yeah. it's too big a gap between the pair and the eight you know how are you going to develop where where are the where's all the racing going to happen that, that brings this many uh people into into the event to be able then to make the jump into the eight
2: yeah exactly like you couldn't just field four pairs
0: so yeah, mm-hmm. i think it's just such a a, a quality addition to rowing yeah oh no definitely like
2: that's a really good point like because mm-hmm. It'd be so hard to just fail four pairs every time.
0: And then our next question is, now you've already chosen the four, so if you could choose any three people, anytime, anywhere in the world, um, to row in a, a, a four with, who are your three crewmates uh, going to be?
2: Oh, that's tough. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm really bad at names as well. I wouldn't even know everybody. Like... Uh, um maybe oh i don't know do they have to be girls could they be boys as well
1: you can choose anyone it doesn't you know you're not you're not limited anyone by gender all. or anything like that
2: and is this just for the olympics or is this for no like this is fun paddle? this is for like anything barack obama in the stroke seat yeah you can choose barack, barack obama's body mobility. yeah
1: yeah you can choose whatever you want to do
2: <laughs> um who would I put in? Oh, that's hard. Sorry, this isn't quick fire at all. That's all
1: right. Um, <laughs>
0: it's actually a trap. We call it quick fire, but then it turns out to uh, be... I really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <questions>. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, I'd say I would put... No, it must be cheesy and just say I'll keep, I'll keep my four girls slack. All right. Same African man, Fiona.
1: Okay, so just going straight with the, the Olympic crew, playing it safe. Yeah,
0: I thought that's what you were going to choose.
1: <laughs> so, the the next question is what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? It doesn't have to be one of your own, just any race that uh, is something that, yeah, any race that you enjoy watching.
2: I think it's probably race in the World Championships. I think 2019, hmm. probably because I saw it there live. So then watching it back. And then also the men's world championship race, that was incredible as well, because they were all like within a second of each other at the finish line. So yeah, probably those two.
0: Yeah, both of those, oh, they're such good racing.
1: Yeah, they were they were insane. Especially, I mean, I mean, Sunita winning her, her world champs in 2019. I mean, yes, that was also a legendary race to watch um, Watch a win. Um, yeah.
0: So the next question and this one is a bit of a is, is a controversial question. Often brings out some uh, heated controversial arguments. <laughs> and if you were in charge at World Rowing, uh, what would you change?
2: Oh, um, what would I change? Mm, I think
1: maybe I'd have racing a bit later. I hate getting up
2: early for a pre-paddle so oh I'd thank you thank
1: you someone her. said it <laughs> someone has said it yes. someone has said it yes it kills me it's getting up early it kills me Ugh. and the men's pair is also yeah, one of the I, first uh, events usually um, on the program
2: oh, the yeah pick. i don't think i wake up until halfway through the race so a bit later would definitely suit me
1: <laughs> oh that
0: is no, I, i'm on the answer. same page there that is so good. I hope the they're
1: listening. There, I really hope someone world rowing listening take this in. And also, I also feel <laughs> that you know, all, all rowers out there, you know, we like to party, you know. So why do we finish? I feel like we could push it yeah. a bit later into the evening, so it makes a a bit more natural transition from you know really doing well racing to you know let's have a bit of fun. I've and I've done the I've yeah, done the
0: opposite. Very- um, the opposite extreme where at, at Henley the one time, um, there, there was some error, there was some issue with the, 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 the heat. And it was like on the, one of the early days of racing when there was like the whole day was just packed with racing and they had to move our race to the last race of the day. Uh, I think we were racing the Greeks. Um, and they had, uh, they had some issue with their boats so they needed to fix it. And we ended up racing at like just after eight o'clock in the evening. Um, and it was, I mean, it was awesome. It was yeah. really cool to to be the last race of the day, but it was, um, you know, like you so, uh, like you buzzing after yeah. a big race, and then you were like, we really struggled to to go to sleep that night because it it was such a, um, such a big one.
2: Yeah, and I feel like if you if you finish at eight o'clock, sure everyone's probably on the pins and on the cans and stuff well before yeah. you, yeah, so you have really a bit of catching up to do.
1: A little bit of catching up to do. Um, so the. Yeah. The next question is, this bit. is the, the one that, you know, everyone wants to hear is, um, what's your 2K PB on the 2,000 meter ago?
2: Um, So I haven't, so I did a 2K, I'd say two years ago, and then, or a year and a half ago, and then I got COVID actually in January. So the oh, sure. this year, it was about a month. Yeah, it was about a month after coming back from COVID.
1: Um, but I equal my PD. Mm. So it's 642. But I'd like to think take nice. it on. Oh, no, nice. If I hadn't hit it. No, that's pretty good. Push, we have I'll I'll let you know we've got a ergo ladder where we have all the guests on the show. You slot in between Victoria Thornley and Helen Glover. 642 Victoria Thornley's on a 641. So, yeah, really you finish time. You finish 8th on uh oh, okay. on
0: the the on the women's section. 8th cool. place. And that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty good. I must say, you know, and I love it. Every time we ask them this it. question, they're always like, yeah, but mm. they'll be like, oh, it's it's not so good. It's, you know, it's only a 6.42 uh, f- uh, and it's, uh, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there there's yeah. some uh, <laughs> school kids listening to that. I mean, uh, <laughs> that would just die uh to 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 have that a good time or to um even dream of of being that fast on the on the ergo is, is yeah. incredible
1: definitely mm.
0: then our last quick fire question is if you had to choose a different sport to go to the olympics in uh what sport would you would you choose and why
2: oh i've actually thought about this all the time i can actually answer this one actually i have two i have two so if I had the body type to be a gymnast I think I'd be a gymnast just because that is so cool and like if you're at a party you could just do a backflip and that can be your party trick whereas I can't take (laughs) out an erg at a party and show off my sport you know so I think gymnastics is cool but training is pretty grim from gymnastics and you have to like stretch for like a lot a couple hours every day as well and I hate stretching so yeah, stretching. if I take training yeah. into account I think I'd like yeah stretching is the worst <laughs> but if I take training into account I think I'd like to be like a 100 meter sprinter because I feel like mm. they would like really short but like intense sessions and then they're done mm. for the rest of the day you know yeah. so I think and then it's a really short race like it's only what like nine seconds 11 seconds yeah so I think 100 mm. sprinter CT. would be pretty good too
0: it's the, it's think, the yeah. absolute pinnacle event to be able to yeah. perform in.
2: It's like the fastest person.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And like how much pain can you really feel in 11 seconds, you know?
1: No, you feel None. nothing. We used to do it at school. Uh, we used to, at athletic season, we used to do all the events and 100 meters. You'd feel hella nervous. I won't lie. I, I remember even at school, you know, running barefoot on our grass track you know <laughs> you'd get hella nervous but i from coming from <laughs> rowing when i did rowing in school i did the 100 meters i'm like this is this is peanuts and biscuits compared to 2k ergo
0: i remember watching an interview with yeah with uh, usain bolt and he was talking about how he could do the two the 100 and the 200 but he would never ever go into the 400 because as soon as you you start going to that length you start getting lactic acid and it hurts and and he didn't ever want to have he didn't ever want to experience uh, that it is uh in his sport career
2: yeah that's just so dreamy like to just never feel pain <laughs> <laughs> but still have like a load of olympic yeah. medals yeah mm. that's no, the goal that's crazy,
0: for sure
2: in another life maybe
0: another life that's it so I mean that wraps it up. I know we've had a we've had a an up and down episode here. It was uh, tricky with the the delay and the, all the, the technical <laughs> stuff we've had, but it's been really really awesome to to chat to you and and hear your story and kind of dig into how you guys managed to to you know bring the the Irish women's team to the the front of the map and uh and perform on the on the big stage. So Really, really awesome. And thanks so much for, for coming on and giving us your time and, um, and being just so awesome to to chat to. Awesome. Yeah,
2: it's been good. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.
0: Cool. So that is a wrap for Ema Lam. Well done, Lawrence. <laughs> I struggled. I struggle with this name yeah, big Lawrence, time.
1: Lawrence's I'd never got so many messages about getting someone's name right before the show.
0: <laughs> I was struggling. I, he,
1: I I used the internet and it was funny enough the internet gave me the wrong pronunciation. But yeah. Okay. Um yeah. But anyway, it was a fantastic episode. Great to um chat to her and, and everything that she she has done. Definitely someone to look out for going forward. Um and yeah, I think uh, just listening to you know, the, the, the COVID stories coming out of the Olympics and like the, the 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 progression that a lot of crews have made have definitely been really eye opening and, and quite cool to listen to because it's such a unique um aspect to this Olympic Games and just listening to how emo took advantage of uh the, the COVID break and what it meant for that fall, I think was a really cool thing to, you know, to listen to.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean there are a lot of takeaways there and just awesome to see um Women's rowing on the app and Irish rowing just kind of uh, executing really good stuff. I mean, I couldn't believe it that they that she said that so the four of them basically doubled the amount of um, female medalists for Ireland, which is incredible.
1: No, it's crazy, and that's also the first uh, medal for uh, women's rowing in Ireland too. Yeah. So, another incredible yeah. achievement, definitely setting the you know setting the standard.
0: And uh, just a segue there, Jakey. How are things going with you? What are you up to? And yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am enjoying my break off. I have, uh, besides the road show, working on the road show, I've also entered myself into uh, a 100-kilometer ultra-distance um, marathon called the Sky Run here in, in the Drakensberg Mountains. It's basically trail running the whole way, so it's I've crazy. got that to, to train for. But, yeah, you know, besides that, just enjoying the the time off. Obviously, with the work on it is great to get a chance to work a lot on the road show.
0: Yeah, I mean that's it's crazy, Jake, that you're doing the Sky Run, and not only. I mean, we have uh, South Africa has many ultra marathons. It's like a cult in in South Africa. We have our uh, the big one is the, the Comrades. Comrades Marathon, but that's on the road. This Sky Run is self navigated through the bush in the mountains. <laughs> it is mental. So I am really interested to see how uh, Jake manages on this run. And I myself am also entered into a few... Oh, yes. Riders. Lawrence is
1: doing a Kruger, uh, you know, Nikki, Lawrence's wife, you know, is really using the opportunity to spend time with Lawrence and entered him into a... Um, a um, I think you're doing a marathon or something, hey? Oh, what are you it's doing? It's like a multi-stage
0: day. I don't think it's not quite a marathon distance. I think in total it's around a marathon distance, but it's over like two or three days. I am dreading it. <laughs> I have not done one millisecond of training since the games, and I'm dreading it, but I will, I will be getting going uh, soon, and I need to get on my bicycle, because uh, my brother also wants to do uh, this long race, I think it's beginning of next year, it's uh, three, it's called 361, and it's literally 361 kilometers long, single stage.
1: Are you going to do it with him? Yeah. Oh shit, I didn't even realize, yeah. was, we were talking about it earlier, he was talking about uh, his brother doing it, I didn't realize you were going to do it Yeah, no, no,
0: I'm going to, I'm going to try and uh, commit to, to do that, so I've, I've got to get uh, get going, get back on the bicycle, and uh, do some training. But other than that, I mean, I'm just enjoying time at home and just, you know, I mean, really soaking it up and time with family and friends. It's been incredible. Mm, just no, it to has. you know. I know COVID is still huge and and it's still something you got to be aware of. But you know, we've we've really had to. We can relax a little bit on on what we were doing before the game. So. You know, just going out to a restaurant and, and, and spending time with the family is, is so awesome.
1: Yeah, I think the difference is that, you know, we don't have to stress about the, the ramifications of if you got COVID before the Olympics would be such a, a dream ender. Yeah. So it's, it's I mean, a obviously, obviously the It's ra-
0: because you don't really, I mean, you still don't want to catch it, you still no, don't want to be don't. sick, you still don't want to spread it to other people, but you're not like ruining your olympic dreams um by getting it so yeah. it's it's definitely more relaxed no it is definitely more relaxed
1: but um yeah i think besides that a uh, bit of housekeeping share the show uh go visit patreon if you're inter- interested the patrons are absolute legends and engage with us on social media will be fantastic but uh yeah awesome yeah. stuff
0: and just yeah a huge shout out to our patrons i mean just uh i mean some of them come to mind and you know jay and uh who else, Jake? They've been sending so many classic messages uh, to us on our on our group, and it's just uh, really cracks me up, and it's it's awesome to to hear and be part of. So yeah, huge
1: thanks, tops, guys, awesome.
2: For the four of us, you know, like we had all that pressure and. Sorry, there's someone knocking at my door. <laughs> and I am like, can I go for two seconds? I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Sorry, someone's knocking at the door to collect something, and they're at the wrong address. So, <laughs> okay, we're good again. <laughs>
1: I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right, Lawrence. Lawrence, that's his favorite thing about the podcast, is editing Editing after, the, after we've recorded.
2: Oh, you're welcome then. (laughs) I've made it so much fun.